The following podcast was produced by Latter-day Radio, originally broadcast on KLO in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome back to Latter-day Radio here on 1430 World Class Talk. Today we have some friends of ours that we served with in our state here in South Jordan. I was thinking about them the other day when I walked past the primary room and they were singing one of my favorite old primary songs. I hope they call me on a mission when I have grown a foot or two. I have a new verse that goes along with this song. It's I, I hope they call me on a mission when I have gained a pound or two and, or maybe when I have aged a year or two and maybe then I will be ready to work and teach as senior missionaries do. Well, we're here with the Hobsons. Introduce yourselves. Ann Hobson. Daryl Hobson. And if you have served in Africa or any Portuguese-speaking mission, you may have bumped into these folks because they've served not just one mission, not two, but several, and we'll let them tell you about it. My first question is, give us a, a little bit of a biography about yourselves, where you've been, what you've been doing. Daryl, I think, started as a Brazilian missionary years and years ago, so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 55 plus years ago, served a mission in Brazil. But I suppose what we're talking about today deals with senior missionary issues. And so in 2002, Ann and I were called to preside over the Cape Verde Praia mission. Uh, and then later in 2007, the church asked us to go as short-term humanitarian missionaries to uh, Beta Mozambique. And then in 2009, an acquaintance of ours out of St. George who had started an NGO called the Ashby Foundation in the Cape Verde Islands when we were there in 2002, asked us uh, to help them direct it and manage it for them, which we did for almost five years until we submitted papers and went uh, as country humanitarian directors to uh, Maputo, Mozambique. So we've spent maybe uh, in total, uh, if you count it all up, maybe close to five years, we've lived in Africa in, well, West Africa and Southeastern Africa and touched in a little bit to Zimbabwe and South Africa, but principally in Mozambique and, and uh, Cabo Verde. Well, Ann, maybe you could explain to our listeners what an NGO is and where Cape Verde Islands, uh, yes, Islands are. I'd love to. The Cape Verde Islands are about 300 miles off the west coast of Africa, above the equator, and they are Portuguese-speaking, so they're connected to Europe, maybe more so than to Africa. They were settled by the Portuguese and an NGO is a non-government organization, which means that uh, the couple who started this foundation were helping Cape Verdeans who had left school and, and not completed their education to go back to school, which was an expensive proposition for those islanders. Kind of a predecessor of what the church is doing now with its perpetual education fund along those same kind of lines? It was similar to that. Uh, it had to play out in public schools because private school systems were much more expensive. 
but it gave him an opportunity because most of our missionaries we found had not uh, graduated from high school. Or the equivalent thereof. Yes. In addition to that, there was another main, several other main or other programs, but one of the main one was to work with providing jobs for uh, sisters, uh, women, who uh, unfortunately would become easily pregnant by men and the men would take off. And it was very hard for them to get jobs in the first place, but now with children, why, uh, what the foundation did was ship clothing in from uh, the DI and other sources that donation, donated clothing and they would sell them. And the program was, was very successful in providing an income for necessities to these women. Kind of like a sheltered workshop, in a way. In a way. Uh, it, uh, it, to me, it was a wonderful program. So it was a very, very nice contribution by this uh, wealthy couple out of uh, St. George. There are people all around the world like that that are giving of their own time, volunteering, and coming up with ways to act on their own without being acted upon. And uh, uh, applause to them and, and people of that, uh, of that same mindset. Well, there's a, a, the other a good example that we know of, uh, and the reason we went to Beta Mozambique the first time was to the church had partnered with Care for Life that was an NGO out of Gilbert, Arizona, that is just an exquisite, a very holistic and comprehensive program for helping the uh, Mozambicans attain self-reliance and the hope of captaining their own ships, principally economically, but it was, it's a very, and still is, been going on for 16 years. A very good program. In case you just joined us, you're listening to Latter-day Radio here on 1430 KLO. And our guests today are Anne and Daryl Hobson, missionaries extraordinaire. And uh, let's kind of go back and talk about your first experience as a couple as the mission president and mission mom in Cape Verde. My, my first question, Anne, is going to be directed to you. I know there's a lot of s senior sisters out there who think, well, my husband learned a language on his mission, and now I'm going to go along, and, and I don't speak that language, so how is it going to be for me? Am I going to be able to get along? And do you have any, uh, any advice or any comfort for uh, wives of husbands who... Uh, take them to some place where they don't speak English? Maybe words of comfort because there's a language of love that transcends the verbal language. If you smile and hug and um, show interest through your eyes and your heart, I think it carries a great deal of weight with Native, uh, native people. Uh, Greg, let me just elaborate a little bit on that. After the first uh, uh, district conference, I asked one of the missionaries who had, who had been there for a while how he felt the, mission, the conference went. And he says, well, honestly, President, he says, I think everybody, uh, everything went well. I'm not sure he says that people listen too much 
to you and the other speakers, but he says, everybody listen to Sister Hobson. <laughs> so she spoke that language of love and they're very willing to help her as she, she tried to speak to them in their language and they, uh, they appreciated that and loved it. And they listened closely. And they listened very closely. <laughs> My wife, when we were in Germany, would take, since we were in Germany where uh, President Uchtdorf comes from, she would get President uh, Uchtdorf talk and put it in side by side with English and German. And she would read the German while understanding the English. And people thought her German was really good <laughs> because she knew how to read it. Uh, Greg, there are a lot of couples, I think, who cower a little bit at the prospects of learning a language. And I think I can testify with firmness that the Lord just wants you out there. And that as my wife spoke, there is another language that transcends uh, a Spanish, Portuguese, German, or whatever it is. And, and she proved that. And they loved her incredibly. Uh, because of her effort uh, in the manner that she just spoke of. And Anne, I would assume you love them back. I did. I do still. Well, tell us about first arriving in Cape Verde. Uh, it's what they called a, uh, um, it's, it's a two-year mission because it's supposed to be a hardship mission. But how did you deal with these so-called uh, so hardships, and how did, you, how did you get started? Were you the first mission, mission president there, or were you, did you take over from someone else? Well, for probably 10 to 11 years preceding our arrival and living in the islands, the uh, mission was run by the Lisbon South mission president in Portugal. Uh, I think as a probably uh, a normal startup like this that the church would designate it as a hardship mission, but frankly, we never even thought about it that way. I don't think we ever commented to each other that we were in some type of a really different hardship uh, location or country. I think we had enough on our plate. We just went about doing our business. The islands are not like Hawaiian islands, by the way. They are moonscape. Oh, really? So they're uh, very dry, and uh, there are parts that have oasis-type um, uh, settings, but by and large, they, uh, they really pray for rain every year, all year long. Even though in the, they're in the middle of the ocean. So maybe that, from that standpoint, you could call it a hardship, but... Uh, we went about things, and we were never disadvantaged, were we, honey? No. Well, tell us about the missionaries. How many missionaries did you uh, have to supervise? Uh, uh, how many islands are there? It's more than just one island, right? Well, there's, yes, there are 10 uh, islands. Uh, there's probably six principal ones, uh, and they're shaped in an archipelago. But uh, within those islands at that time, there, are, there were three districts, about 18 branches. So that pretty well defines about 80 missionaries that can serve within those, uh, those branches and districts. About half of them, uh, maybe the greater half were American and the lesser half were 
were Cape Verdean African missionaries uh, with a sprinkling of missionaries from all over the world. Portugal, Brazil. Portugal's Brazil, uh, France. Uh, Sweden. Sweden. Aus uh, Australia. Australia. New Zealand. New Zealand. But they were principally, uh, as I described it. And you love all of them. Oh, mm -hmm. they're incredible. Uh, the missionaries are, without doubt, the, the uh, miracle uh, of the missionary work. And even sometimes in close quarters, we would say that they're still 19 at that age. Nonetheless, they went forth with great power and worked their tails off. And we had great admiration for those great missionaries that came to serve with us. More faith-affirming podcast content from Latter-day Radio coming your way. Stick around. We're back here on Latter-day Radio with Daryl and Ann Hobson. I'm Greg Gerard, and you're listening to 1430 KLO World Class Talk. If you listen to the earlier segment, you know that the Hobsons have served how many missions? And give us a uh, recap again of how many missions you've served and where you've been over the last okay. 10 years. Uh, the Cape Verde Islands came first off the west coast of Africa. And then the church called us to serve in Mozambique for three months to work with um, an NGO, which was a fascinating experience. Uh, and and very different from the usual missionary work, but it still served the same purpose. Then we served in um, Mozambique, a humanitarian mission. In between, we were uh, directors of an NGO in Cape Verde. And then the most recent one was uh, in, the, in Switzerland, working with human rights education in connection with United Nations. And in fact... Anne was kind enough to recommend Christy and me to go uh, pick up where they left off, and we spent three months last spring uh, in the same apartment, in the same office, uh, continuing their work. So if you get to know people who do senior missionary work, you can find lots of new opportunities and learn more about the advantages and blessings of being a senior missionary, which is what I'd kind of like to focus on for the rest of this segment. Now, Daryl, you were telling me how important senior missionaries are and how they were to you when you were mission president. We were so blessed, Greg, because uh, uh, I had been in a bishopric with the uh, Dr. Quentin Harris, who was the one who worked with some of the brethren to start up the missionary medical uh, program throughout the world. And he indicated when we were called that we would need a nurse there. And one of the great blessings that we did have a nurse that came uh, because the, the, the islands are, are are not like Hawaiian islands. They're pretty <laughs> uh, moonscape, some would call them, or desert-like. And, and so the, the idea was not only for the islands, but anywhere where missionaries served is to get a lock-in on the infectious disease issues that might oh, cause really? a missionary not to be able to work. But when my wife mentioned that we went back uh, after being released as mission presidents 
and we helped a couple run an NGO, uh, the Ashby Foundation in the, in the Cape Verde Islands. We, he insisted, or they insisted, that we travel twice a year back to the islands, which amounted to almost uh, five years. And we, we got to see the growth and the development of the church. Uh, one of our missionaries was the first new state president there. Another one was called to the High Council and so on and so forth. And some of our members there who have been had served previous missions that were not our missionaries were also making huge contributions. But we also had uh, we also had a couple from Brazil via uh, Portugal and a couple from uh, Wyoming and uh, it, and then over time, we watched other couples that continually got called to the Cape Verde Islands. And what a great blessing. You, you just, with all the developmental things, when you're trying to establish the church there, you just need help. You cannot do it all by yourself. And maybe you could address the concerns that uh, senior sisters have about Will they fit in? Will they be able to speak the language? Will they be able to cope with all these responsibilities? They don't have a Costco down the street. How, <laughs> how did you cope with this? Yes, grocery shopping was an experience. Oh, anyway, will you just move on? And uh, once you once you've gone through it once, the ne the next time is easier as far as getting the groceries for feeding an army of missionaries, which we would do at. Uh, Zone conferences. Um, I really think it was amazing. Like we had uh, on different islands, we had couples serving, and they would serve as a, kind of a, a mission president of that island. And the Cape Verdean people love to sing. And mm. we soon learned that when we had district conferences, they would have a choir. And one of the thrills to us was seeing a young Cape Verdean uh, who could play the keyboard because years before our time, he had learned those skills from a senior missionary couple, the wife of this couple. And uh, I think she must still hear from him and be thrilled by her contribution to the whole mission because of what she taught that elder and how he then taught others. Sounds like a small and simple thing, right? Mm. And not only that, but the children, the young kids would come up and watch Ricardo play the piano because he had a huge love for music and it inspired them also. There was many others who I think were inspired to learn music because of what that one couple did Years, years before us. Don't short sell what you can contribute as a senior missionary. Very Is good. that right? Yes. Absolutely. In case you just joined us, I'm here with Anne and Daryl Hobson. We're talking about missionary work in faraway places and maybe even close to home. Um, these two fine people, friends of ours, members of our same stake, have served in n numerous places, as Anne pointed out. And all of these experiences, from what I understand, have been different. So that kind of tells you about the kinds of missionary experiences that are available out there for seniors. 
I think, uh, Greg, the, that there may be, could be wrong, but something like 26, uh, maybe 28 categories that missionary couples can, can uh, request. Of course, usually I think we leave it open for what the Lord has in mind for the needs in all the world, but it's virtually all missionary work in one form or another. Sometimes missionary work is nothing more than trying to speak someone's language at the store and leaving them with a smile so the next time a missionary with a similar badge comes by, they will open the door and let them in, right? Can I give you an example of that? Absolutely. <clears throat> when we were in uh, Maputo, uh, we were, of course, country directors for humanitarian. We worked with uh, a partner to to build desk in a school that was the only school in a district of 30, 38 schools that uh, none of them had desks. So the project was is to, to uh, provide this one school, which we did. And uh, at the end, when the, when the desks were delivered, uh, there was a Saturday designated when parents could come and, and make their contribution uh, through the school had to give something, which is what we do in humanitarian welfare service. And uh, there were a number of kids that came up after they looked at us two. We're the only whites there, but we had our white shirts and we had our placas mm -hmm. showing the church, but we never talked anything about the church, but they could see who was doing this. And I think when the church talks about bringing the church out of obscurity, Someday, all those children are going to think, just as you said, about and reflect back on that day when, when those missionaries, those elderly senior <laughs> couples, brought, those white-haired missionaries, white-haired missionaries brought deaths to their schools, and the missionaries who may knock on their on their huts or their doors someday, they may just use, they just may feel very comfortable allowing them to come in. That's right. Conversion is never an instantaneous activity. It's something that happens over time through uh, experience and, of course, uh, the love that is shown to someone. I can recall why I went to Germany in the first place when I was about 10 years old. I had a Sunday school teacher by the name of Roland Rathke who'd come home early from a mission to Germany because of health, and he told us about walking the streets of Germany, the cobblestone streets and the, the bells in the belfry. And, and I got so enchanted with it about a part of a, a year later, could be a few months, this wonderful young man died of kidney failure. Years later, I took German in high school and I ended up walking those streets and listening to those bells because of the example of a teacher whom I loved and who showed love to me. Anne, can you talk for a minute about what a missionary couple can do to prepare to make that commitment and what they can do to uh, maybe go through the application process because you've done this before? I think it's become easier, the application process, to go online and uh, fill out the forms and do your dental work and your medical uh, 
But I think through the years, we've always thought that we would, uh, upon retirement, we would serve. And, uh, and so it's an ongoing process. You're, you're, th- you're thinking about, um, oh, that will be good to know when I'm serving a mission or trying to teach a class. Hmm. Little did I know I would be trying to teach it in Portuguese. But yes, when you marry a Portuguese speaker, you, you have to assume that that could happen one day. We, we had a, a foreign exchange student who really wanted to teach me Portuguese, and I wish I had picked up more from him. But there was a lot going on at that time. So, so how is your Portuguese now? Maybe, Daryl, you can answer that question. How's Zen's Portuguese? Well, she has progressed remarkably well. Um, she's very good at writing. She's very good at understanding. Of course, the trick is the expression, the speaking. And again, uh, she, she does pretty good at that. And pretty good is a lot more uh, important than than uh, not speaking at all because well, and, and you make the attempt. And people appreciate the fact that you make the attempt, right? Exactly. exactly. And, and Anne is very, I mean, I, half the time I'd have to look around where she was. We'd, be, we'd arrive back from the airplane because we were flying all over those islands and I couldn't find her. She was off talking to people. So she, she has a natural... Uh, comfort level, I think, in approaching people. So that's a remarkable, uh, and she's pretty bright to begin with, so (laughs) that helps. But people shouldn't be afraid of the language. We saw couples out there who served in the, as as nurse, and they, neither one spoke Portuguese, and they had wonderful mission. Well, we hope that this has given you some food for thought here on Latter-day Radio. Well, thank you, Daryl and Ann, for sharing your missionary stories with us. We're not done yet. More faith-affirming podcast content on its way. Stay with us. We're back here on Latter-day Radio with my friends and neighbors, the Hobsons, on Latter-day Radio. And I was thinking the other day about people that tell me, well, I'm kind of afraid to go on a mission, or I've heard young missionaries express fear or reluctance. And the scripture comes to mind, if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. And, Daryl, what are some things that, first, young missionaries can do, families can do to help their missionaries be prepared? And what are some things that those of us who are adults may be ready to say goodbye to our children, send them to college, or they're getting married? What can we do to prepare ourselves as potential senior missionaries? I'll start off, and Ann can come in when she feels. uh, I think one of the things we noted when we got the application to our office in the field of missionaries, uh, I would I would look each one of them over uh, for a number of reasons. But it was interesting to come to the little section on uh, finances. I uh, don't remember exactly what it said, but I could tell if they had earned their money, and there were there were a number mm-hmm. who had earned their own money to serve their mission. And I 
think that is quite remarkable. It was remarkable in how they worked as missionaries because missionary work is work, as opposed maybe to someone whose parents were paying for it. So I would, I would say in terms of preparation, Greg, that a missionary, a young missionary, would be well served if the parents in the home taught the principle of saving uh, whatever they earned, that, that some portion, I would recommend 10% automatically be put into a missionary fund. Uh, same thing maybe for college, but teach the principle of saving. And maybe the same thing could be uh, a good, a good uh, plan for senior missionary couples that uh, you can spend money quite freely in our society on these fancy cars and so forth, but the day will come hopefully when they'll have a desire to serve and are they prepared to serve financially along with the other areas of preparation. So uh, I, I, I would put an emphasis on finance at this very moment. Uh, Ann? I agree. I agree with, with that. And what are the other areas? Spiritual preparation, physical preparation, trying to stay fit so you're healthy while you're serving, especially for senior missionaries? That's true. And as we talked about in the other segment, uh, above all, have the trust in the Lord for willingness to go. Uh, fear not. Uh, as I mentioned, I think we saw uh, a number of couples in Cape Verde even a nurse or two who were single, who were called, and they sp did not speak the language. And yet, I'm not aware of either of them or any of them who did not have wonderful missions. Uh, so, uh, preparation, I guess, on all, all on all on all fronts needs to be uh, needs to be talked about, planned about, and. Uh, Again, especially the financial side, I think, is very important so that you know you can, you can go when it's time to submit your papers. I have a question for you, Ann, and that is, what are some things as a senior missionary, as a spouse of a Portuguese speaker, as a mission mom, things that were unexpected and surprised you that you thought, well, gee, I wish I would have done this before I came? Yes, there were many, but we, I think we just worked through them. Uh, cooking was a big deal in the mission home. We were always serving meals, and anybody who was around was invited to come and sit at the table. Uh, and, but Daryl was really hands-on. He did a lot of uh, kibitzing with me, consulting with me about what we might fix, about what was coming up. Uh, uh, missionaries coming in or missionaries going home and we had special meals at that time. Uh, he would even, because he spoke the language so well, he often did the, would do the shopping uh, on his way to something. And so we worked as a team. We really worked a lot as a team. And, and, and I think that was good for the missionaries to see the kind of relationship we had and how we worked together. 
Do you think your missionary experience brought the two of you closer together? Yes, and I, I think that it changes you because you are forever impacted by those experiences and by those people who become part of you and live in your heart, uh, both the, the native people and the missionaries and, uh, and the members and people that we saw constantly at, at shops and things who recognized us. And when, because we had the opportunity to return to Cabo Verde for those five years as we ran the NGO, we we really have close relationships with some of those people, and I and I think when we go back, it it makes it so special that they know that we love them and want to return and to their land. It's like a family reunion when you go back, isn't it? Yes. This is Latter Day Radio. In case you just joined us, we're finishing up our hour long conversation with Daryl and Ann Hobson, who have served multiple missions in Africa and off the coast on the Cape Verde Islands here on KLO World Class Talk, 1430 AM. The last few minutes today, I'd like to have you express your feelings about the missionaries, the, how they arrive, what you, what you do to help them cope with their responsibilities and how close you are to them years later that you're home and their your missionaries are now parents, probably many of them. Greg, I think uh, each one of our missionaries probably adapted differently, but I think across the board, the first two transfers, uh, first couple of months are very important to a missionary. Um, we had some missionaries, I think uh, probably all over the world, some who, who went into the mission field with uh, the notion of becoming a leader, uh, a district leader, a zone leader, an AP. I tried to emphasize at every point I could that the greatest compliment I could pay to a missionary was to be called as, uh, I think we call them today, trainers. That is a person to whom the new missionary was assigned. And their, their job was to do everything they could uh, to help their acclimation into the mission field. Uh, some of them, uh, one young man, I remember, who told us later it was extremely hard on him. And yet he was one of those students that was clearly very intellectual. His parents told me that uh, high school was no problem. He graduated in uh, genetics or something from BYU. But yet uh, others, uh, you know, adapted well. And it was hard in some places. Uh, some of their living conditions weren't exactly what they were used to. And so uh, again, those are some things that maybe could be taken up in family home home evenings uh, uh, and to help these young missionaries realize that uh, that they're going to leave the nest and help them become in independent of parents and then to listen and trust in what their mission president and mission mom were telling them. 
Self-reliance is important. And it's a great attribute for a missionary, isn't it, to be self-reliant? Absolutely. Uh, President Benson was asked one time, describe missionary work, something to that effect. And he said, it's work, work, work. So if a family doesn't teach or they're, they're not doing whatever is necessary to teach their kids how to work, either in the family business or go out to flip hamburgers or whatever it is, mow lawns, but teach them to work. Because if they don't have a work ethic, they're going to have a struggle in the mission field. And in life as, exactly. as, as well. Uh, finally, in the last uh, minute and a half or so that we have, and tell us what a senior missionary sister, a mom out in the field, if you would, what can she contribute to these missionaries to help them cope and, and acclimate? I think constantly praying for them and showing warmth toward them. Sometimes I would say to Daryl when he came into home after a hard day's work, shall we say, and I would suggest, I think so-and-so needs a phone call. And he'd say, are you sure? <laughs> and, and I'd say, yes, I think it's important. That sister is, needs you, or that elder needs you. And, and it would be just what they needed. I think being in tune and, and, um, and feeling their spirits and what they're going through was good. Showing empathy. I think, Greg, that there were times like that, that she just mentioned that clearly the Lord was speaking to her. And I think those missionaries sometimes just needed to know that someone was thinking about them. That they're not forgotten. Probably not a big deal, but just they got a call and somebody was, you know, thinking about them. Yeah. And we did love them and do love them still. Still have good relationships with them, don't you? Many of them. We spend a lot of time uh, on Facebook and other means going back and forth, both with American and Natives. Well, if you're thinking about serving a mission, we hope that our conversation with the Hobsons today have helped. Well, thank you, Daryl and Anne, for spending some time with us today and talking about your missionary experiences. This podcast has been produced by Latter Day Radio. Visit latterdayradio.com for more information.